The final dump is live, and it was a real dump of a final game of the regular season for the Green Bay Packers. They fall to the Detroit Lions. We will recap all of it, the very little good, certainly all the bad, what it means going forward, and uh, some news from Monday's press conferences as well. It is the post-week 18 edition of the final dump. News dump. News dump, yay! News dump. I mean, that's kind of a loaded question. It's a grand It's the final dump, presented by Game On Wisconsin. That is right. This is the final dump. I'm Brendan Dorzinski. He's Matt Fralick. I'm the one who yells a lot. He's the attractive one. Here with you for the next hour to talk all about the miserable loss for the Green Bay Packers to the Detroit Lions to end, maybe mercifully, the 2022 NFL season for Green Bay. They end the year at 8-9 and nine and miss the playoffs for the first time since 2018. We're going to get to every element of this game. As I said at the top, um, very little good to get to from this game. Certainly a lot of bad, a lot of frustrating, a lot of just downright maddening. We'll get to some of the specifics, why this team can't score against Detroit, one of the worst off or defenses, excuse me, in the entire NFL, why they scored, uh, what was it, 25 points over two games this season. We'll get to all the details, plus uh, sounds like Joe Barry is coming back for 2023 as well. At least that's the initial indication from Matt LaFleur. Um, Matt, I'm not going to lie. I was not like horribly upset at the end of the game on Sunday night because I sort of felt like, man, this game included Packers players shoving trainers and slapping dudes during timeouts and just complete nonsense to the point where I thought, I I don't even know anything to say. Like, I, I don't even know what to feel, what emotions to let out. I don't know if I'm sad or mad or frustrated or what. Um, it doesn't feel good, though. I know that for certain. Whatever the specific emotion is, it's not a good one after the way the season ended. Yeah, always tough to pinpoint and you know emotions after a loss or even a gut wrench. You want or just when, the, especially when the season like comes to culmination, it's always difficult. You know, unless it ends in you know winning a Super Bowl, it's obviously a completely different um, you know one eighty on emotions. But I would say, yeah, I wasn't. I mean, we've d- definitely gone through worse as Packer fans. Even in the last, like you said, we haven't made the playoffs. It was the first time since twenty eighteen. But even in that stretch of making the playoffs, we've had some more gut wrenching and emotional impactful um endings to a season so yeah i mean i i kind of didn't really digest all of the dumb stuff they did during the game until probably i would say this morning um on monday morning you know after the game was kind of like shit like everything was really based around rogers um i waited until and we'll get to those later i waited until this morning actually even listen and watch the lafleur and Rogers press conference, just because I didn't really want to dive into that as much last night. I really tried to avoid it as much as possible and it was late. So, um, but ultimately, yeah, I mean, it's just my feelings too. Like you're saying, like, it's just based off of how the players acted during the game that didn't contribute to football. Mine was more or less just like, damn, like that four, that four game run was like, it was pretty cool and all, but like, they really kind of found their, their level, right? Like water kind of finds its level. And that's kind of what this game ended up being is just the culmination of what the entire year really what they really look like, their common denominator, which puts a bad taste in your mouth going into the next season. Yeah, and I think that's where I want to start because I agree with you one billion percent that I 
you know, I don't want to completely eliminate what the previous four weeks had been beating the Bears and beating the Rams and the Dolphins and the win over the Vikings felt incredible. I don't know any Packers fan who didn't at least feel some sort of joy sticking it to Minnesota, especially a Minnesota team that's won a bunch of games, but who, you know, the the stats flesh out probably are not really a great team this year. I mean, it, it was fun. It was a blast. It felt like a playoff run for the last four weeks because to a degree it was. Had the Packers lost any of those games since the game against the Bears all the way through week 18, the season was over from that point. And then it was just talking about draft position and, well, maybe we're going to see Jordan Love at some point. So I don't want to discount what that meant and what that was like and how much fun it was to actually get to root for a team that was building momentum and was playing pretty well defensively. I gave the stat last week on the show that over that four-week stretch, the four-game winning streak, Packers defense was only giving up 17 points a game, and they were actually playing pretty well. And the offense was slowly but surely getting into a little bit of a rhythm. And then every single demon from all season came out in week 18. It felt so much to me, Matt, like the losses from you know, the the Giants game, the Jets, or the, the Commanders game, the first Lions game, all those just grading midseason losses. It felt like so many of those where the offense looks okay early in the game, but cannot take advantage and w- squanders a bunch of opportunities that they just cannot figure out, you know, what is it going to take to get into the end zone or to call a decent play on the goal line or not to put all the blame on the play calling, to actually execute on the goal line and get the ball in the end zone, squandering opportunities, let them back into the game at halftime on Sunday. It was the personal foul against Rasul Douglas. There's, you know, the, the touching the ball thing. I know that got all the attention, but that they were calling timeout. That wasn't going to do anything. If they had just let it go, you can't slap a dude, man. Like that's always going to get caught. And that's always going to get flagged. So that was dumb. You let the lions kick an easy field goal cuts into it. And then, We had the third quarter drive that takes 19 years off the clock that demoralizes the defense and wears them down. Offense can't get into enough of a rhythm the rest of the way and they end up losing. I mean, we, we saw that same loss over and over and to a point about the defense again, too, it's, it's amazing how much better a defense looks when they're forcing a bunch of turnovers, right? And when they're intercepting Kirk Cousins three or four times and when Tua Tungavailoa is potentially playing with a concussion and is throwing the ball to nobody except defenders. Like, wow, amazing that that makes a defense look a whole lot better. Packers didn't take the ball away. They did turn it over. An awful interception by Rodgers, the fumble by Aaron Jones. And I knew at that moment, oh my God, I'm having flashbacks. Like, it, it just... Everything that we talked about all year that was wrong with this team's execution, with its play calling, with its preparation, with just with its coaching, whatever it might end up being, it all came out at the worst possible time. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just it's crazy to me that they like you mentioned, all those bad losses that had happened throughout the year. It's it's crazy to me that like this would they, they could pot how could it possibly happen again when it's a win and get in scenario? Like that's the thing to me is like that's the that's the part that really really hurts is like okay you you control your destiny we talk about that all the time sports fans you know coaches you know Rogers has talked about it Lafleur's talked about it etc cetera, etc cetera. it's like all you had to do was just execute like it didn't even have to be a game like Minnesota it could have get could have been a a shit fest like the Dolphins game it could have been you know a game like the Ra- like there's all these games that have happened over the last month that like you could have replicated that or even just eighty percent of that production like. But instead, you went back to all these negative habits, um, and there's just 
Yeah, like you mentioned the defensive stuff. Like I was really, I was really trying to manifest a defensive big play. Like every time, like they got the ball back. I think it was, I think it was in like the second quarter. I was telling Andrew next to me, I'm like, hey, it's gonna be a big play this drive. Well, it's not a big play. It's gonna be a big play this drive. Then it's a long, you know, twelve play drive, and then in the in the, uh, the third quarter, thirteen play drive. Like it's like okay, well, I'm just not not making it. And it's like you could kind of see like throughout the game where it was just like they didn't weren't playing with that same pizzazz that that aggressiveness that they did especially in the minnesota game that's been talked about um quite a bit today on my timeline and i think just nationally it's just like they reverted back to the the old ways of not pressing guys not contesting guys the real frustrating play that i saw just a small little caveat here and we'll get back to it is just like darnell savage was having such a good game and all of a sudden they show the replay of him following st brown in the slot and he's just like dogging it across the line when he puts him in motion they run a little 10 yard out it's like well you're never going to cover that if you don't get back and center in front of him like it's just never gonna it's never gonna work that way just like small things like that like just lacking the intensity to want to jam a guy get up on a line and you know make a play like that's that's what really sucks to me and um it's just you know there's not you don't have a lot of momentum to go into the offseason if they would have played a tough aggressive game like minnesota and the loss i'd feel a lot a lot better today than i did uh, last night it's just tough to get beaten by the ver- you know Jared Goff's had a good year, and, and I don't want to say oh he's he's just a bum, he's a joke, he's su-. like he's had a good year. They put the stat up on the broadcast, his passer rating for whatever that's worth over the last eight weeks or whatever it was is the best in the NFL. I mean he's played really well. We also know that he doesn't do all that well under pressure. And what did the Packers do? They generated two total pressures between their edge rushers on Sunday. We know that he doesn't throw the ball well in the cold in general. I mean, he outplayed Aaron Rodgers for most of the game. Rodgers had a couple of throws that were great. The one to the the deep ball that Watson did end up catching, great throw. The one, well, in fact, two uh, deep balls that he ended up catching were were good throws. The one to Romeo Dobbs was a perfect throw. That was that was the best throw of the entire yeah, freaking game, and it hits Dobbs right in the forearm and and goes incomplete. I mean, it's just it was the little things. It's the attention to detail. We'll get to discipline specifically in just a moment, but. I mean, you could go point to any quarter of the game, Matt, and see things that went wrong that shouldn't have gone wrong. You can go and point to plays that should have been made. The one that still stands out to me was in the first half. I want to say it was the second quarter, but I might be mistaken here. It might have been the first quarter. Rodgers needs some help. He's rolling out to his right. A.J. Dillon is waiting about four yards down the field, one yard in front of the sticks. And Rodgers had to, you know, he said to get rid of it, just to dump it off. Dillon can't hang on to it. And, you know, in the moment, it's okay, well, that sucks. But then they couldn't convert on third down and five. Then they ended up having to kick the field goal instead of being able to get a touchdown in that situation. If Dylan catches that ball, turns it up, gets the first down, there's no guarantee the Packers get in the end zone. We know how god-awful the offense has been inside the 10-yard line, certainly on the goal line all year. But you get another chance at it, or you get an expanded group of chances at it. Instead, you end up not getting those four to, and I haven't looked back at the tape at how much room he may have had to turn up and run with, but you know, anywhere from four to eight yards, essentially, instead of getting that, you end up certainly getting three points instead of a chance at a touchdown. Packers had so many chances to put this game away. And then again, the, the dumb stuff with the turnover, uh, the, the Jones fumble, the penalties, one in the first one in the, or in the first half, one in the second half. I mean, it's just the little things here and there. The Dobbs drop, and I don't even know if they officially credited that as a drop, but it was a perfect frozen rope mm-hmm. of a throw. They hit him right in the forearm. Like I, I know he's a rookie, but 
this is also week 18 of your rookie season. So you're not really a rookie at that point. I'm not trying to put this all on Romeo Dobbs. I'm not trying to put this all on AJ Dillon because it's not on any one person. I, I don't think it's all on Aaron Rodgers, even though he wasn't very good in the game overall, aside from a few throws here and there. I don't think there's any one person, any one entity, any one aspect to blame. But it's to me, you know, if the question is what stands out the most, it's the fact that everything went wrong. It, I don't want to jump into, well, they weren't prepared and certainly not the, well, they didn't want it enough stuff because I think that's mostly nonsense, but it felt a little unprepared. Like all that momentum you'd been playing with, all that intensity, all the good vibes you'd had the last four weeks. There's none of that in this game. Absolutely none. Other than, other than the deep ball catch by Watson early on. I don't know how much we felt of that the entire game. No, I totally agree with you. And I was thinking just, you know, like you mentioned, I think I was trying to, you know, going through the prep notes that you sent over earlier. And I'm like trying to rack my brain all day of like what went wrong. And there's just, there's just so many little things. Like I think the AJ Dillon one was one that I was reflecting back on before we started. It's just like, damn, like that's a small play, but it ends up being a big play. And, and the Dobbs one for sure was another one. It's just like those constant little things that add up. Like you can get away with a few of those. Um, but when a team like the Lions is playing with literally reckless abandonment, nothing to lose, and they have all the confidence in the world just because their coach is motivating and they got a guy like Jamal Williams, who's, an absolute savage like it's just there's just and the defense is a bunch of truly some nobodies and I think they will turn into a, a pretty damn good defense as time evolves here but it just sucks that it's just these small little things that you continue to shoot yourself in the foot like what is it death by a thousand cuts like that's really what it ended up being last night so I wanted to get to a topic that I know I have hammered over and over and over again but it it's discipline with this team man and it's mm-hmm. you know it Certain things like drops, I mean, that that's eye discipline. That's a form of it. But I mean, the the stupid penalties and the things like that and some of its play calling. And I think Aaron Rodgers' execution and the offensive execution comes down to some level of discipline as well. I think it was uh, Jacob Morley, uh, you know, friend of the program, who tweeted this out. He usually does the PFF scores the morning after Packers games. He puts them out there on social media. And I believe he said that no Packer, offensive lineman was graded as having a an above average game on Sunday. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, Pack- Packers getting beat up front. They lost the game in the trenches. They certainly lost it defensively. We know that. And they lost it offensively as well in the trenches. And I, I know I keep hitting on the same point, And I think that a lot of moments from this game stand out. So it feels very repetitive, but like Quay Walker, what are you doing? You, you already did that this season, and I know emotions are high. I know you were checking on your former teammate from when you were in college, from Georgia. I'm sure that's tough when you're seeing, oh, man, I hope DeAndre Swift is okay. I, I hope he's all right. I get that, but by the same token, dude, like, you're a professional now, man. You can't be doing, pardon my language here, you can't do dumb shit like that. And I know right. that on Monday morning, he gave, put his – tweet thread out and said he reached out to the trainer and apologized and he feels awful about what he did and he just hopes he can be forgiven and knows he needs to work on this i understand all of that okay i i really do and on a human level you you have grace for people and whatever but there's also the football level to this man you already got kicked out of a game this year for shoving someone who wasn't in uniform on a sideline you've got to be more aware and i just like at some point that it's it's on him like you can't do that you have to know you cannot do that but by the same token like LaFleur was rip shit pissed at him earlier in the year when he got tossed in Buffalo 
And then he was yelling at him again, you know, be smart, be smart. They showed that on the NBC camera. He was yelling, be smart and pointing at his head while talking to Quay Walker. Dude, like you're the coach. This comes down to you at some point. Rasul Douglas, right? The, The penalty for slapping whichever... Lions blocker that was on the field goal try. I really don't think they were going to throw a flag. It didn't appear that they were going to for him going up and touching the ball. I I thought it was pretty obvious he did that because he looked at the sideline, saw the floor, call timeout. The linesman was going to wave for it. So he was like, all right, I'm just going to go and get in their head a little bit, which, and I'm not going to let them snap the ball. That's fine. I mean, that, that's just gamesmanship. Who cares? Don't slap the dude. Like, you've been in the league for the better part of a decade, Rasul. Like, you know you cannot do that. And it just drives me up a wall, Matt, that we are doing this in this kind of game. Like, against Buffalo, when it felt like the season was falling apart and was, you know, there was no chance of making the playoffs. All right, that's really bad, but that's one thing. Your season is on the line. Jobs are on the line. How? How do you lose focus like that? And it's coaching, it's players. I just don't understand. And at some point that has to come down to the coaching staff, position coaches, coordinators, and certainly the head coach too. hundred percent. Like the first one, like the Quay Walker one is to me, like it's a bad week for that to happen. Obviously with the, you know, the true miracle that's happening with DeMar Hamlin right now, which, you know, seven days ago, we were literally probably right about this time in this, in a recording and wondering what was going on. And we had, you know, you cut in live here and we talked about it and it's, you know, evolved from then, but like, Bad timing for it to happen then. I think if it was a player, it's probably a different conversation. If he shoves a guy like that, I don't think it's like – because, like, a player's trying to come in and kind of elbow him out of the way, which is normal, right? Like, they never – you don't ever want an opponent just hovering over your, you know, your teammate, whether he's injured, whether he just had a big play, whether they are former teammates. It doesn't really matter. You never want that guy, you know, imposing his will on someone else. So, I can understand why Quay Walker did it, but, like, you got to understand – like, you got to – be a little bit more aware of your surroundings and see that it's oh it's a trainer it's a guy that's like a foot and a half shorter than me I probably don't need to like and he's like not in a uniform he's all like just in an all black jumpsuit like it's got to be way smarter than that honestly the Razul Douglas one I loved it I thought that was brilliant like initially I was like what is he doing and then when they're talking about the broadcast it's like oh they they call timeout that's why he went over like I I love that type of gamesmanship stuff like Stuff that you can get away with because you know you can. And like, okay, we're not going to let this guy get an attempt. We're not going to get Bagley get an attempt. We're not even going to let them get the snap off. Like, I think that stuff in sports is the best. I totally love it. But like, Rasul, you got to understand, like, not only are you walking in between these nasty offensive linemen and tight ends in between the trenches there, but you're, you're provoking this. Like, someone is probably going to shove you. So you have to be like, hey, I'm going to be a shithead right now and slap the ball. Like I, I need to understand what the repercussions are of that and not be surprised when shove, someone shoves me from behind. At that point, you just have to laugh it off. Like kind of what you saw, what uh, uh, Jalen Ramsey did in the game before, like versus Seattle, whether or not that hit was clean on Gino, I think it was, you know, just bad timing, but like, mm-hmm. he's like, whatever. Like I, I, you know, I was a part of a situation, but I'm not going to, you know, provoke it where DK Metcalf ended up provoking it. It's like, he's got to be smarter than that. Um, it sucks for Quay. I saw a lot of dumb shit on Twitter last night. Like people were like, he shouldn't be on the team next year. It's like, well, you clearly don't understand how the NFL works. They're not cutting a first round pick after getting kicked out of two games. I understand it's terrible, but it's like, he's not leaving. He's had a great end of the season. I thought some maturity needs to happen. Obviously he's a rookie. It's just, it's just what happens. Like that's just, that's a 
it's it's not excusable he gets kicked out of two games or even one game especially in just stuff where it's like has nothing to do with football essentially it's literally you're just dicking around with guys that are like more inferior to you that kind of really irritates me um but we've seen this time and time again for Matt LaFleur teams like there is no vocal leader on this team whether it be I feel from the coaching staff I don't feel like there's really one on the defense or the offense I've thought about that for weeks and weeks and weeks over the last two years, I'm like, I don't know who that guy is. I really don't know who it is. You know, Devondre Campbell's got the captain patch. I don't see him being a vocal guy rallying the troops up. You know, Ja talks a lot, but I feel like Jair Alexander's kind of a weird brain where he's not rallying a bunch of guys around anyways. Like, it's just, it's a weird dynamic with this team. I think um, we've seen a lot and a lot of, you know, criticism this year. A lot of lumps have been taken from Matt LaFleur. And previous to this, the previous three years, never really had that. So it's like, Going through some of that scrutiny and some of that those hard times is, a, I think, an eye-opening thing for him. Um, I don't know how that gets corrected because I've kind of thought Matt LaFleur from day one when he has first initial press conference, I'm like, this guy's a little bit nervous, a little bit gun-shy, a little bit timid. I haven't really seen that change. Um, so I don't know how that gets fixed. I don't know what happens. But, yeah, it, like you said, it starts and stops with you, man. Like, no shit, you're upset. But at the end of the day, like, you have to correct or at least have – you know, a vice pre- a vice president or an assistant coach, if you will, um, you know, a vice principal to be the mean person, because that's usually what every organization has is someone on the other side that they're afraid of, they're they're scared of, that you're never going to do that with, maybe similar to like a, a Dan Campbell. And I think for me, that's the biggest issue I have with Matt LaFleur. I like Matt LaFleur. I think he's a good coach. I think he's a smart guy. Does he have faults as a coach? Sure. I think pretty much everyone does. But you can't always be, you know, the, the friendly big brother coach. Like you can't always be friends with the guys. Sometimes you have to be a hard ass and that doesn't mean after something happens, right? Like that's not after Quay Walker shoves a trainer. Like you can say, be smart, be smart. All you want in that situation. It's over, dude. It happened. That shove came. The teaching moment was Buffalo. And in fairness, okay, and Domovsky tweeted this out after the game. Nobody has been ejected twice in a season in some ungodly amount of time. Like, it just doesn't happen. So, sure, you're never expecting it. But that's what coaching and teaching is, is you have that moment, you have that very bad moment, and you say, look, here's why this can never happen again. We are going to work with this so you are aware and it is in your head that this can never happen again. That that clearly didn't happen. I don't think again, I don't think Quay Walker's a bad dude. I don't think he's like a raging lunatic. I just think that you need to be able to get that out of guys. You need to have it in everyone's brain, even veterans like Rasul Douglas. You need to have it in their brains. We cannot afford these mistakes. We cannot afford these mental lapses in this game. Being excited, being animated, being in someone's face, that is important, and that is a a vital part of football to a degree. Look at how well the secondary played last week when they were getting super fired up and they were getting in Justin Jefferson's face and Adam Thielen's face last week. That's important, but you have to maintain a certain level of, hell, professionalism to a degree, and it just didn't. It didn't feel like there was enough of that this year. And I go back to the story in The Athletic about how, you know, LaFleur's just kind of one of the guys and they had a great time at David Bakhtiari's wedding and all that. Like, that's awesome. I'm glad the guys like who they play for. And I'm glad that LaFleur is a good dude. But at some point, 
you got to lay down the law. There is a balance to strike. To me, it's the total opposite, the reverse of what the Giants had to do with Tom Coughlin before they won the Super Bowl in 2007 when they beat the 18-1 Patriots. I remember they talk all about this in the America's Game episode, and which, great, awesome series, if you haven't watched it. I'm sure many people, if you're watching this show, you've probably watched America's Game, but you know what I mean. And they say, like, look, he was always a hard ass. He was always all over us. It, it was too much. So some of the veterans said, look, Tom, you got to throttle back at least a little bit because this you're putting us in a tough spot. We're clashing here. Throttled it back just a little bit. Kept his normal Coughlin self, but throttled back a little bit. John, I'm not saying that Matt LaFleur gets a little more aggressive in meetings and all of a sudden the Packers are going to win the Super Bowl and, you know, beat one of the greatest teams of all time. I'm just saying that I think that's the next step for him in his development as a coach is, look, dude, you've got to be more than just friends with these guys. You've got to be able to actually coach them up. And I I just feel like that's lacking right now. I do want to bring up, though, by the way, Matt, in uh, terms of the extremely dumb stuff that we have seen over the course of the day when it pertains to Quay Walker. This is the biggest one. This is from Mike Tanier of the New York Times and Football Outsiders about uh, how he deserves a one-year suspension from the NFL. Again, this is Mike Tanier on Twitter from the New York Times. He has exhibited a pattern of dangerous behavior that could lead to a bystander getting seriously injured during a game. That is absolutely unacceptable. Number one. (laughs) <laughs> the NFL suspended a sexual predator for 11 games. Quay Walker's going to not come on. Let's come on. That's not going to happen. Secondly, come on. Like even beyond the precedence, like, give me a break, dude. Come on. It, it's bad. He's going to get fined. If you said, Hey, he's going to get suspended for a game, maybe even two next year because of this. Honestly, I get it a year. Come on. It's a bad take. It's a really bad take. Like, like he's not throwing fists. He's not, you know, bashing people with helmets across the head. Like he shoved two trainers. Now it's not great, but yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a bad take from uh, that guy, uh, Mike, not, not, not good for Mike Tanner. No, not, not good whatsoever. Uh, appreciate everyone who's chiming in, in the comment section on the game on Wisconsin YouTube. We got, Jazzy boy, diehard fishing here who says we are not a scary team on offense. No more. Never been scary on defense. We need to be more aggressive, play with more attitude. We are soft. I do generally agree with that. And I think yes. that's what Rasul was going for, but you've got to be able to, you know, again, there's a threshold you can't cross. And unfortunately the Packers did cross that in terms of mental mistakes. Defensively. They also crossed the threshold of complete and utter patheticness offensively against Detroit in this game. But, man, it wasn't just this game against Detroit. It was all season. Two games against the Lions. One of the worst defenses in the NFL. Everyone would tell you that. I test metrics, all that. One of the worst defenses in the league. Two games, the Packers scored 25 points against them. I, I Maybe you noticed something that I didn't notice. Maybe... There, there is something that they were doing schematically that Aaron Glenn was dialing up that was just completely befuddling to the Packers. But I, I don't think they did anything special. I just don't know why this Packers team could not do anything at all against that defense for Detroit. Everyone else did almost all year, and the Packers were rendered Bears-like in two games. I don't understand why the line specifically, you know, it's a small, small sample size, two games, but 
a decent amount in the retrospect of an entire season. I, I don't know why the Lions seem to have, you know, the Packers number when they're on defense. Aaron Glenn's got them playing well, like you mentioned. I would say um, some of the things that have just continued to prolong this team this entire season is decision-making, I think, on short yardage. We saw that last night with the the end around to Lazard, which was just so damn confusing. I don't care what screenshot you have on, you know, it looked like they could have Rogers could have fallen forward. I, I don't care about that. Like, I don't care if there's seven guys on the line. Like, you just need to run the ball on fourth and inches. That's just run the ball. Don't do not go east and west when you need literally less than a yard. That just doesn't make sense. I think the big one though, too, is the lack of Nathaniel Hackett. Honestly, so many times during that game last night when they're settling for three, I'm like, damn, wonder what Nathaniel's up to right now. I know he's probably enjoying his guaranteed money from the Broncos, but like the gold zone used to be awesome. That used to be our stuff. And I know some of it probably is impacted quite a bit by Devonte Adams, you know, having to you know take some safety shade over the top opens up one-on-one coverages for other guys. Rogers doesn't think as much through the progression, but just some of the, the, the lack of creativity and you see it across the league of other creative stuff. We're watching a you know, national championship game tonight. You see a ton of crazy college football creativity, whether it's short yardage or goal line stuff. You see a ton of it in the NFL, the copycat league that is between, you know, the Titans or the uh, the Chiefs, for God's sakes, or the Eagles. Like, you never get that from the Packers anymore. And that's 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 the really frustrating part because they have the guys that can do it. They have guys that are versatile. They did line up Randall Cobb out of the backfield on that, at that third down where Rodgers thought to scramble out to the outside and, you know, over – not even overthrew. Had a terrible pass to A.J. Dillon. Yeah, pants are definitely on right now tonight, Todd Varney. I, I just, I struggle with the fact that it's like, you can't, you have to be, these are, these are small pieces of an NFL game in an NFL, I guess, strategy going into a game. And it's previously, I think it was during the beginning of the year, Rogers had talked about how uh, Matt LaFleur is really good with like delegating, you know, Stenovich gets this or Luke Getze got that, or Hackett would get these little pieces of the game plan, third down stuff, um, the first 15 plays, red zone stuff. And like, I don't know who's coming up with the red zone stuff right now, but they suck. They don't know. Like, it's just, it's not great. It's really shitty. So that's, that's the other issue. It's like that you just, you got to be able to score touchdowns, man. Like yep. you, you, I was baffled how many times I rolled out Crosby there in 45 plus yarders last night. I was surprised only missed one of them. And it's just like, that's, you can't be relying on Mason to hit some bombs in January weather. Like it's just at Lambeau. It's, it's not going to happen all the time. So um, there's that. And I just think the way they they fixate on running the ball out of shotgun all the time, I know that's how it's established, but then you got to be able to pass it out of an RPO too. Like that's that's the other part. I'm like, okay, you're lining up, you know, pony package or, you know, two running backs, like got some split receivers, but like you can't always run it up the middle. You got to maybe toss it to the outside, throw it. Like there, there was no creativity or even no, there was no option on any of those plays last night it was all run 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 there was no wrinkle at all to take anyone off guard other than them trying to set up you know a couple plays through those fake end arounds or an end around or whatever you have it so it's just it's a creativity it's a small yardage stuff it's it's the red zone stuff for me why would you run alan lazard multiple times don't know like like what logic is there to to that like i okay you're maybe you wanted to throw them off maybe you wanted to 
I don't know. I, I don't have any logic behind it. You have Christian Watson, who is the fastest player on the field. One of the hardest guys to tackle on the field. Great change of direction. Athletic specimen. Get him the ball in that situation. The the end around, the handoff, the sweep handoff on the first fourth down. That wasn't going to, you know, you could have had Tyree Kill out there. He wasn't going to get past that defense. That was DOA. But the you did it twice. You let Lazard run the ball twice. I just don't. It went back again to the original point we made that all the demons from all year round all came up at the same point. And like, what was, what is the goal to goal go the play to play goal? Excuse me. I got my words backwards there. What is the play to play goal of this offense? What are you actually trying to do on an individual basis? Like if, can you explain to me and, in fairness, Matt LaFleur does not need to come to me and say, Brendan Dorzinski, this is why I did this play. This is why we called this play. This is why we ran this here. This is why we sequenced this play with this play. I don't deserve that, and that's fine. But I would love to have an explanation. Why would you give the ball to Alan Lazard in that situation? Lazard had an okay game receiving the ball. That was fine. They used him effectively as a receiver, and apparently it was his last game, although I'm not really surprised by that. Anyway, beside the point, it just it's insane to me and goal to go red zone. First time they had first, second, third and goal and the runs right up the middle there. It's just uncreative. It's stale. I don't, I don't know who to blame. I'm with you. I don't know who it is. Who's been coming up with the red zone plays, whether it's Lafleur, Stenovich, uh, Clemens, someone else, Rogers himself. I don't know if there are checks that he's not supposed to be checking out to, but he is, I don't know if he's overruling Matt LaFleur. We've got some comments going on in the YouTube, and I, I love the discussion going on. We're mm-hmm. monitoring here as it, uh, as it rolls by while we're talking. I don't know who is overruling who, who is coming up with these decisions. I just know that it cannot survive like this. And we saw that this year, and it didn't survive. It was dead on arrival. It was it was toast. And Dawn brings this up in the YouTube comments as well. And, and Matt, to your point about Nathaniel Hackett, Matt LaFleur said on Monday, he's thought about it. He's thought, yeah, I'd, I'd be open to bringing him back. We know that Hackett and Rodgers have a good relationship. I don't know what that looks like with, you know, with Adam Stenovich being there as your offensive coordinator right now. Do you bring Hackett back as co-OC, new quarterbacks coach? I I have no idea. And, and in fairness, the red zone wasn't all that great either last year. But this is what happens when you lose in big games is everything comes into question. And in a game where you got so much wrong, I think it's only fair to question a whole bunch of things. 100%. Like, I don't know what the answer is, but I, I do think it's a, it's a, I will give them some benefit of the doubt. I do think it's a situation where it is, it's easy to, you know, especially after the Mike McCarthy era, it's easy to, you know, ridicule play calling. Cause we had so, you know, a full decade ish of, we thought bad, bad play calling at times. All right. And I do think on certain situations where it's like, you know, first and goal, you run the ball. Okay, no success there. We're going to go through a different gap with a different run fits, and it doesn't happen again. You go, you know, 0 for 2, and now it's third down. Like, I do think there is a conversation, like, you can't necessarily get away from the run right away. I think you need to establish it and get it to work. And, like, it's I think it's a fine line between running the ball one time on goal to go and two times and then having to throw it. Like, it's it's as false, you know, it's a small line. It's like if, if you throw the ball twice or throw the ball once and it's incomplete, it's just like, it is a tough situation to be in. Cause I can definitely see myself being critical during a game and taking a step back. I'm like, well, what if they would have thrown it there? We would have probably been 
equally as pissed off. So I think it's a situation, but ultimately there needs to be more creativity. Like that's it. And your creativity can't rely on your third or fourth fastest receiver on an end around. <laughs> I was livid as soon as I saw that. Truly like, what the hell are we doing? Why in the hell would we ever think about something like that? It drives you insane, but that's kind of how this entire season went. And while we're talking about whole season issues that reared their ugly head in this game, we do need to get to the defense here, Matt. And look, you only give up 20 points to a pretty darn good offense. And in a vacuum, that's pretty good. But again, the demoralizing drive in the second half where the other team runs and runs and runs and runs and you can't stop it and they burn off a ton of clock and then they eventually punch it in to take the lead, extend the lead, whatever it is. We saw that a bunch, Washington, the Lions the first time, the Jets, the Giants. We saw it in all those games that I mentioned earlier and the inability to take the ball away. And we saw the way Jared Goff was throwing the ball at the start of the game. There <laughs> were certainly opportunities to recover a fumble. He did have a, the ball knocked out once. I think it was Jaron Reed who got to him, who knocked the ball out. If I remember yep. correctly, Jer Reed played pretty well at the end of the year, to be honest he with did. you. But you you didn't generate enough pressure when you probably could have knocked the ball out a couple of times. You couldn't intercept a guy who was throwing ducks out there. The one deep ball he had to, I think it was Khalif Raymond, where he caught the ball. He went down at the one when I thought he was in. I can't believe they didn't just call him in, but whatever. Too. That ball hung in the air forever. I, I could have done my taxes in the time it took for that ball to come down from the peak of its parabola. And yet they couldn't take the ball away and they couldn't make enough stops. And is it more on the offense when you lose a game 20 to 16? Probably, but the defense didn't exactly do the offense a whole lot of favors in this one either, specifically in the second half. First half, I thought they were all right. Second half, though, they just got gashed and they got worn down. And that, that was the Lions, again, controlling the game and playing right into what Dan Campbell said early in the season he wanted to do this Packers team. There was a ton of times last night where I think it was like the first drive for the Lions too, where the ball's tipped and Jair almost picked it, right? Just like he almost kind of reaches back and picks it off a deflection that he wasn't covering. He was just around the area. And we talked about that last week on the show. It was just like, can you continue to replicate, you know, the, the balls going your way or creating these turnovers? And I said, you know, more, more or less, it's sometimes the football gods are in your favor and you can keep, you know, driving to the ball or keep, you know, swatting a ball away or getting your hands up. But um, yeah, you would have thought a couple of those would have gone their way last night. Really, like just the way, you know, you think back to Jared Goff and some of the horrendous throws he had, skipping stuff down in the dirt. Every single, I thought, throw was, uh, you know, a, a basket catch or a guy's trying to get his fingertips under without it hitting the ground. It was constantly we're getting, you know, stuff reviewed, whether it was um, not challenged, but just scrutinized on replays. And that, I, I don't know. I thought they could have forced a couple turnovers, but ultimately like they weren't playing aggressive enough that's really what it com comes down to you can't get pressures you only had one sack Devonte wyatt's got the sack edge pressure you mentioned we only had two pressures like it was non-existent um pbus were far and few between which was i mean savage had the really nice one on that out route that he he jumped but um it's just you, the defense tenacity wasn't there i didn't really see a whole lot of guys playing with some swagger other than like quay walker he was filling the holes really really well I just think – I don't know what the fix is for this defense. We'll talk about it a little bit later on some of the comments before had. But, yeah, fine. this was not the game to have your, you know, a bounce-back defensive performance and bounce back to how you've been all year. Get back to your old habits because the way it had been going the last four games, 
was pretty optimistic going through you know week 18 and into the playoffs so that that was tough that was tough to see um i do wonder how again if we had another pass rusher Rayshon gary if they had someone else that could have made some plays i saw preston smith wasn't there on a couple third downs last night which was concerning to me as well um but at the end of the day it's just not it's just not it's not a winning brand of football. Yes, you're keeping them out of the end zone a little bit more, but having to you know withstand a 12, 13 play drive, not forcing turnovers, not sacking them when they're almost Jared Goff was almost giving them the ball multiple times. You got to be able to take advantage of um, his miscues on the road and in some you know poor weather conditions. The way you just phrased it, I think, is one hundred percent perfect. It's not winning football. It's just not. There's you know again when I talk about play to play offense, what is your play to play goal? defensively like what do you actually believe you could accomplish if you are not able to get to the quarterback and knock him down and you're not able to take away the ball and you're not able to make stops on third down like what do you actually think you're going to end up accomplishing in that situation and I know that like Joe Barry's notes do not say don't make stops on third down don't generate like I know that's the goal but what you're doing is not working. And maybe it is just the personnel, right? I mean, maybe it is the fact that Rashawn Gary is hurt. Kingsley Enigbari, I I think I've been pronouncing it wrong based on how he introduced himself on the uh, Sunday Night Football <laughs> introductions. I think I might be pronouncing it wrong. I'm not entirely sure. Kingsley Enigbari, that's the best I know how to say it. It's just that he's a rookie. Preston Smith is a better number two pass rusher than he is a number one. They were doing a good job on the interior. And the Lions have a good offensive line. They have, in fact, they have a really good offensive line really young offensive line in a couple spots too but you got to be able to get pressure man you've got to be able to generate pressure somehow what leave your corners on islands more and send more blitzes I don't know what it would end up taking in that situation and I'm not a defensive coordinator it's not my job I'm not paid to come up with these schemes but I also know when it's not working the whole world knows when it's not working you've got to figure out a way to make it work. Taking the ball away. You can't really predict that because it's such a volatile statistic, one of the most volatile statistics, but you got to take it away sometimes. Even one last night maybe changes the fortunes in the game or at least gives you another chance to get the ball back. Or one more third down stop at the end of the game, maybe you end up getting one last chance to at least bomb the ball down the field to Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs, and you hope for pass interference at some point. I mean, there's a couple different ways that we could have ended up seeing one more Packers chance, and they just didn't come. And you're right. You're 1 million percent right. It's just not winning football, and that's the big concern. And I'm actually going to I'm gonna call it an audible here. I'm gonna, we're going to go can-can here. Uh, I wanted to adjust the, the rundown. This is a little inside baseball if you're watching or listening. But originally we had this as our last topic, but I figure it, it actually makes sense to get to now. Matt LaFleur says during his press conference on Monday, his – I don't want to use the word postmortem. I don't really think that's appropriate given what's happened in the NFL the past week. But it, it was his end-of-season recap – we're sad and we'll do the best we can in the future press conference. And he said he anticipates that Joe Barry will be back to be the defensive coordinator for the Packers next year. So Matt, I will ask you, what are your thoughts about Joe Barry probably getting a third year as the Packers defensive coordinator? Strange that he would comment on it. Um, and even give an answer. It kind of reminds me actually like the Jim Leonard thing for Wisconsin Badgers fans where he's like, yep, decides he's going to come back, and then four days later changes his mind at the end of the season. It's like, you don't have to say anything. You can give him a politically correct answer. 
you can give them sort of, you know, coach speak. You can do whatever you want. You don't even have to say, you know, we're going to, we can just say we are, you know, I will have my exit interviews throughout the season or the end of the season. Just come up with something. It was like, Hey, we're going to assess, you know, make sure we have the best coaching staff possible. Just like we want to make sure we have the best roster, but to actually say like you anticipate Barry to return is somewhat shocking to me. I do think, um, I, I do think Joe Barry can do a better job um, with the talent he has. I think there's been, you know, there's been signs of improvement. I think a lot of fans are pretty pissed off just from the, the, you know, all the talent that's there, free agency, first round picks. And it's like, you, this is the product you're rolling out. Um, I do think some of that, they mentioned the broadcast last night and they said just like the way, you know, sometimes the way the offense plays, it puts the defense in a pretty shitty situation. Rogers basically having his worst season of his career. There's, there's other contributing factors to that bad special teams, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I do think it's tough to get, well, this would be Joe's what third year then coming up next yeah. year. Is that, yeah, is that I just right? finished year two. Two years does seem like a short, short leash on a guy. It really that seems extremely extreme. But it's like the other thing too is like they talked about that star position for you know Joe Barry's defense, right? The Jalen Ramsey position, that nickelbacker, and they have yet to really find a guy to play that. It's kind of been a a carousel, if you will, of who that guy is. You would think at this point through two seasons, you would have found that guy, Joe. You would have advocated you would have pounded your fist you know in free agency or second or third round of a draft like be able to go get a guy that doesn't happen so it's like well if this is really the you know the piece that you're missing on this defense that's one thing if you know it takes maybe up until next year to get another pass rusher to supplement Zedaria Smith you weren't prepared for that you knew you were going in at a weak spot with him then Rayshon goes down that's another thing but like that aside like there's just too much talent for it not to be good and I think a lot of people other than like the all the all the capital that they have in it first on picks free agency etc i think the big thing is just like his track record before with the detroit lions and the rams um you know being not the best defense especially with the lions i think that's a big thing that people want to just you know have one foot in one foot out for joe barry and throw him out the window at some point so i, I i'm okay with it one more year but there has to be significant improvements like next year like I, I you have so much talent dude there's no reason this should be bad but I'm not too optimistic based off what the secondary looks like going into next year. I think there's going to be a lot of changes there, especially the safety group. We've talked about that a bunch. Um, I, I don't know what changes need to be made, but something needs to change maybe with some – either it's person. If you're going to keep Joe Barry and that's going to be your guy, before you got to make another change, whether it's you know specialist guys, uh, D-line, linebacker, you know secondary coach. Obviously, Jerry Gray is more likely staying um or you know a couple different personnel guys to shake it up but ultimately like don't throw the guy out there as a, a lame duck going into his third year and basically fire a mid-season or something crazy like, that would be insane so give him an opportunity if you want to bring him back but I was surprised to see that LaFleur actually said yeah he anticipates bringing him back that's that was shocking to me generally speaking I would agree with you that you need to give coaches and schemes time you need time for them to be able to take hold and get their footing, and everybody knows the system, and it comes naturally. Uh, a college example of this, the head coach at Oklahoma, Brett Venables. Mm -hmm. When he was at Clemson, he was known for being one of the best defensive coordinators. Hell, he was the highest-paid coordinator in the country for a while. He was known for his great defense. He was a truly great defensive coordinator. It took a couple of years after he left OU as a coordinator to go to Clemson for it to really sink in. They had some real major growing pains, but once it took hold – that defense was humming for Clemson throughout their best years just a couple of years ago. 
Now at Oklahoma, their defense was awful after he returned as head coach and obviously installed his own defense. But it's a similar principle. Hey, this takes some time. It takes a recruiting cycle or two for this to finally take hold. I think in the NFL, coaches are often fired too quickly, and you need to give at least a couple of years so that someone can get their system in place unless you end up with a Hackett in Denver or an Urban Meyer in Jacksonville when it's just clearly a disaster. Mm -hmm. Here is why, though, I can't follow through with that for Joe Barry in particular. And, and Ross Uglum from Packer Report put this on Twitter on Monday. Joe Barry's defenses in his career, six seasons as a defensive coordinator, 30th in DVOA, 31st in DVOA, 21st and 25th, 22nd and 20th. His defenses, in terms of the Football Outsiders DVOA metric, have never been better than 20th in the NFL. That was this season. Scoring defenses, twice in Detroit, last in the league. 15 and 16 in Washington, 19th and 18th in the NFL. Last year and this year in Green Bay, 10th in the NFL in scoring D last year, 17th in it this year. Like, there's never been, like greatness with this like he, Nathaniel Hackett when he got hired by the Broncos he had come off a real hot streak with Green Bay and how good the offense had been the last couple of years his previous stints as an offensive coordinator had not gone especially well the Jacksonville offenses when he was there they were not exactly whoa hold on now Blake Bortles looks like the next Joe Montana no they they weren't exactly great but he looked good when he came to Green Bay Barry hasn't even had that he didn't even have, okay, well, in the, in this one spot, he looked good for a brief period of time. That's never been there for him. So I just don't know what we should expect to be different. Because if you're Matt LaFleur, I imagine you're seeing that things are wrong here and they need to be fixed. If they just think it's talent, that's worrisome because the Packers have invested so much free agent money and so much draft capital in defensive pieces. But if it's more than just that, then unless you're going to fire a bunch of assistants and position coaches and quality control guys, I don't know what we can actually expect to to change here next year. So I, I wouldn't have done this. I think I've made my stance on Barry pretty clear. I think most people at this point have. I understand trying to keep continuity, and I do think that's extremely important. But good Lord, man, this defense has been hard to watch for a couple of years under Barry, and I just I don't know why we should expect anything different if it's going to be pretty much running it back with the same staff next year. Before we get out of here, was there anything else that Rogers brought up after the game or that LaFleur brought up after the game or even on Monday that really jumped out to you? I know Rogers comments after he walked off the field and had that emotional moment with Randall Cobb. I know that has made or generated a lot of headlines and a lot of attention. Yeah, there's, there's a ton of stuff, man. I mean, just like watch the end of the game, and it's kind of just eerie. You're watching him and Randall Cobb go off the field. You're Previously that, you're watching him dap up a bunch of guys, and the Jamison Williams thing is like, holy hell, like he's going to hang on to this one jersey. He talked about that in the press conference um, last night, which I ended up listening to this morning, and basically said, he, I think he kind of tiptoed around the, you know, the answer, but he mentioned like, you know, some of these games are more important than others. This isn't just like a fly by the seat of your pants game. Week 18, divisional game at Lambeau, Sunday night football, you can win to get in. Like, and he kind of tied a bow on it, said like, sometimes he, he gifts these to people, you know, whether it's friends, families, coaches, whatever. So I was like, okay, there's, there's, there might be something there. Um, the one that really stuck out to me and it made me, I was just had a weak moment last night. I'm like, I'm not going to watch the LaFleur run or wait till Monday. Not going to watch the Rodgers one. I'm going to wait till Monday. And I saw it popped up on my Twitter timeline. It was still live. And it was like 15 minutes in. 
and I clicked it and they literally asked him, I don't remember who it was, if it was, uh, I don't remember which beat reporter it was, but they basically asked, you know, if this is your last time at Lambeau, like what will you miss the most? And he, he welled up, took a sip of his water to kind of gather his thoughts. And he kind of made a joke towards about six or seven beat reporters mentioning, you know, he'll miss this about them. this about him or her. And, you know, ultimately he'll, you know, he'll miss the players and the fans and he walked off and, that was that was tough to digest, dude. Like, especially like the fact that I was not gonna listen to that on Sunday night, and then I go ahead and just have a weak moment, and that was the last one, of the last couple of things. I'm like, geez, like that is tough. Like, so at this point, like I, I don't know. That was dif- it was difficult for me to stomach some of the stuff he was saying. Um, Lafleur, a lot of coach crap. Like he was just kind of upset and pissed, and just kind of you know discussing about what Quay Walker did, Razul, like just just typical you know coach speak nothing too crazy I think he was a little bit heated up and kind of pissed off from the loss but ultimately really the Rodgers like the last minute you know two minutes of his press conference was kind of eye-opening and just from it from going that to starting at the end of the game and him walking out with Cabo it was a lot to kind of take in the last you know 45 minutes before going to bed last night I still think he's going to come back and we're going to talk about this next week. Our show next yeah. week is going to be kind of a year in review, look ahead to the storylines this off season, make some predictions about who might be back, what some of the approaches will be for the off season. So we will be back another week after this one, if you're listening or you're still watching here at the end of the show. But I will say the moment when he walked off with Cobb, I thought, okay, I, this is this is powerful. Like this, yeah. this is making me feel things that I wish I wasn't really feeling right now. And then the comments during the press conference where he talked about how he's going to miss the fans and the guys and all that—that that made me think. All right, this this seems kind of like someone who is opening the you know the door to retirement. But by the same token, he has said so much stuff over the last couple of years that would lead you to believe one thing. And then it ends up being something else. And no, that's not a commentary about anything COVID related. I just mean that he drops a lot of hints or, you know, he, I just think he's moody. Like we, we had similar ish comments after the loss to the 49ers last year. And I, I just think he was emotional after the win. And I think it was smart when he said, I'm going to take a few days, let the emotion from this fade separate from that. And, then go from there. I I won't hold the Packers hostage, and that I think everybody would appreciate that. That's what stood out to me the most. Um, and from Lafleur, it's the the Joe Barry comments on Monday, which we've obviously already gotten to in depth. I don't know. I, I don't know exactly how long it's going to take for him to figure this out. I know people are going to talk about it nonstop. I would. My piece of advice is if you are the type who says, I hate this drama and there's too much of it, yada, yada. Just remember, there is a little red X in the corner of your web browser. There is a, you know, if you have an old iPhone, there's a button or you can slide up. And I I don't know exactly what the command is on an Android. There are ways to close Twitter. There are ways to shut yourself out. You don't have to turn on undisputed. You don't have to turn on first take. You can avoid the discourse if you want to. You do not have to be a part of it. And it's just my one piece of advice if you're already complaining about Aaron Rodgers' drama this offseason. But that's the one thing that stood out. And if that was it, that's going to be a very powerful picture of him walking off the field with Randall Cobb. And if he's back, then I let's ride one more year. And absolutely, we'll, we'll hope for the best, even though um, this season pretty much ended with the worst. Although, Matt, before we go, we don't have any more games to preview. Very sadly, I was hoping that we could preview another 
you know, beat down to the 49ers. I, I told a buddy of mine who shot me a text during the game right before halftime, he, or right after halftime, he said, you know, I want the Packers to win more than anything, but we are going to get destroyed next week by the 49ers <laughs> if we make it in. And I was like, yeah, this is like in college basketball when a mid-major wins their conference tournament and they go crazy. We're going to the NCAA tournament. We're going to the NCAA tournament. And then you get Duke in the first round. And it's like, oh, okay, well... We're, we're just happy to be here. And I, I really felt that way. Like this, this was yeah. the big one for me. Like just get in, you say you got to the playoffs, whatever happens there. It's, you know, it's house money at that point. Uh, unfortunately didn't even get to that point, but even though we don't have any games to preview, I did want to get to a little significant to some before we wrap up the show today, the Super Bowl is a few weeks away. It hell, it's just about a month away, just over a month away mm-hmm. at this point. It's on February 12th. We've got the odds, courtesy of the FanDuel Sportsbook, for the odds to win Super Bowl 57. We'll put them up on the screen right now. We'll read out some of the key ones to you if you're listening to the podcast version. Chiefs are the favorites right now. They're at plus 330, followed by the Bills at plus 420. The Eagles are plus 500. It's tied with the 49ers, so both of the top NFC teams are plus 500. Then you've got the Bengals at plus 750. Everyone else is a much longer shot after that. The longest one being the Seahawks. They're plus 8,500. Matt, whether it is your actual pick to win the Super Bowl or whether it would be your gambling value pick to win the Super Bowl, who do you like from this list? I tried to actually do a – there was a playoff generator earlier, and I tried to actually do it. Uh, ended up with the Chiefs and the Eagles. So didn't really like the way I did that, just going straight chalk. Now, value, 100% like the Eagles at plus 500 money. I think that's solid. I think Jalen Hurts being a little bit rested, resting that shoulder. I think that team's really good. But my, I mean, the favorite one I got here is Bengals plus 750. You look at the game they played on Sunday versus the Ravens. I think they have a chip on their shoulder, uh, clearly, uh, relatively healthy. I think that offense is in damn good shape right now. Joe Burrow, Joe Shiesty, just the coolest guy ever. I really like them to get back to the Super Bowl and um, you know revenge last year. Uh, I don't you know necessarily like any of the other long shots. You can maybe have a conversation for the Niners there as well. Um, you know, Bills and Chiefs, I think, are a good story. I just think that AFC is a pretty tough, daunting um, situation there. Um, but value wise. Hundred percent. I like uh, Eagles and especially the Bengals at seven fifty. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Bengals plus seven fifty. That would absolutely be mine. I think you could make an argument they're playing better football than anybody else right now. Their defense has been awesome. They yeah. won comfortably over the Ravens, who also looked just dreadful. Uh, they didn't even get a great game from Joe Burrow when they won comfortably over Baltimore in Week 18. I love Burrow. I I might rock the Burrow jersey next week. Even I, I'm such sure. a freaking huge fan of Joe Shiesty. So. Uh, I think I I might just pick the Bengals outright at this point. I think the Chiefs are really good. I, I think the three best teams in the NFL are all in the AFC. I think Chiefs, Bills, Bengals are your best. But right now, I, I wouldn't want to face the Bengals right now. I would say that much. Although, by the same token, I wish the Packers were playing anybody this coming weekend. But unfortunately, we can't always get what we want. And unfortunately, we wanted to get one more week of Packers football this year. And that went by the wayside with this week's loss. To the Detroit Lions. That is not it for the final dump this year. However, Matt and I will be back 
next week to put a bow on this season, a big, smelly, ugly bow. Well, it was a big, smelly, ugly season, but we'll put a bow on it. We'll look back at some of the biggest moments from the year and look ahead to some of the big storylines for the offseason as well. As always, make sure you're following Matt on Twitter. His handle is at Matt underscore F-R-A underscore. You can find myself at Brendan DZW. And of course, make sure you're following Game on Wisconsin across your social media channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube as well. Matt, this sucks. Um, it, it sucks to not have playoff football to preview, but you know, that's that's probably as much as it hurts, probably what this team deserved this year. 100 percent Like, you know, I am a Packers fan, but I'm also an NFL NFL fan. So enjoy Super Wild Card weekend and uh we'll recap the season that was come uh next Monday. We will talk to you then. For Matt Fralick, I'm Brendan Dworzinski. This has been the post-Week 18 edition of the Final Dump, and we'll talk to you next week to recap the 2022 Packers season. Well, Wayne, I think this is one that Vince Lombardi and George Hallis would be proud of. You could have given me the touchdown. That is hard to overturn, you know what I mean? I understand That's that. That's a good effort, Richard, though, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, That's a pretty good effort.